0: Let me magnify that name a moment. Hallelujah. We glorify the matchless name of Jesus. The unrivaled name. Hallelujah. There is no equal to you, God. There is none beside you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Truly, there is no rival and there is no equal. so... If the unrivaled one or the unequaled one lives inside of you, that means that you have no rival and you have no equal. That's why the Word of God says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. (laughs) There is no problem that is equal to God. There is no rival or situation or dilemma that is equal to God. And uh, He lives inside of me. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You May be seated. Thank you for being here. Wednesday night family Christian training. What a powerful weekend we had. Um, Smashed in between Christmas festivities and not having started the new year. Kind of a weird, where are we at weekend? And God just showed up in a powerful way. If you were here at our watch night service, it was just incredible. It was really, really powerful. And enjoyed it so much. And uh, I am so excited. This Sunday is uh, one of my favorite Sundays of the entire year. It's our launch service. It's uh, where we set the tone for the entire year. Uh, We get our mind right. We get our heart right. We set our direction. We establish some things within ourselves. We make covenants with God. And um, so it's a very, very important weekend. I challenge you to be here. And uh, we'll talk about our theme. I've got a uh, word from the Lord I believe He wants me to share for the church. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be wonderful. And we welcome some of you back. Brother Marshall, it's good to have you and your family back from traveling. Brother Dwight, I know you're, we're thankful you're feeling better. Amen. Uh, Sister Susan had a wonderful uh, praise report today. We have been praying for uh, her daughter Beverly. And there were some tests being run, and we were very concerned. She took a prayer cloth to her and received word today that all is clear and all is well, and we give God the praise for that. That does not mean there was not something there before, right? We are going to give God the praise for it. And yeah, thank God. He's a miracle working God. We thank Him for it. Amen. Tonight we will conclude a series that we have been covering over the past several weeks entitled God's Holiness and Ours, God's Holiness and Ours. This one, I think, um, the the story we are going through tonight and the passage of Scripture might be my favorite uh, out of all that we have gone through in this particular series. Uh, There's about a million messages that could be preached out of this one chapter, and I'm going to promise you not to try to do that tonight. Uh, But it's just so incredible, and so I want to challenge you to uh, dig into the Word of the Lord tonight, and uh, let's talk about holy for a purpose. Holy for a purpose. We often are asked by family members or co-workers, why do you live holy? Why do you have certain convictions? Why is it that you don't do certain things that other people do? Why is it you don't wear certain things that other people wear? And so generally, uh, the first thing out of your mouth would be, or should be, to say, well, number one, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Um, And then secondly, it's because we are holy for a purpose. There is a reason behind holy living. There is a reason why we believe that God calls us to be separated And holy in our conduct, in our attitude, in our presentation to those around us. In all of it, we are holy for a purpose. For a purpose. And tonight we'll talk about that. Holy for a purpose. Daniel chapter 3, although we'll be covering the story throughout the entirety of this chapter, we will not read the entire chapter at this moment. We will focus in on the most... uh, Often quoted, read two verses of Scripture in Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. If it be so,
1: our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will
0: deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Uh, verse 18. Which thou hast set up. Be it known. We're not doing it in secret. We're not trying to do this behind closed doors. We're letting you and anybody else that cares to know be it known that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. There is a truth about God tonight we need to be reminded of, and that is that God empowers us to live a holy life for a purpose. For a purpose, and because of that, I will pursue God's holiness. Why? To fulfill God's purpose. There is no greater knowledge than to know the will of God. Uh, you've heard me say this many times. My pastor, years ago, when I was about, uh, I don't know, nineteen years old, he wrote in this Bible right here. Uh, just a young preacher in his church, he wrote in my Bible to know. The will of God is the greatest knowledge. And to do the will of God is the greatest accomplishment. And so I want to challenge you tonight to be reminded that God's holiness in us, the purpose of living holy, is to fulfill God's purpose. And when you are fulfilling God's purpose, there is no greater sense of satisfaction and peace and joy than to know you are pleasing and you are fulfilling God's purpose in your life. I don't care... What boss man you may uh, please, what accolades you may achieve on this earth, uh, what status you may obtain, you will never receive the same kind of satisfaction, pleasing in a company or a directive or a person like pleasing God. When you know you're doing what God's called you to do, <laughs> that's all that really matters. And so holiness in us is to help us achieve God's purpose in our life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you may have heard of him. Uh, He is one of my favorite historical characters, one of the most intriguing figures of the World War II era in Germany. His perennial spiritual classic, The Cost of Discipleship, has continued to inspire and challenge generations with its clear-cut call for absolute dedication. For he said in this book, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. Bonhoeffer and his twin sister Sabine was born February the 4th, 1906 in Germany to a well-to-do and very influential family. At age 16, Dietrich entered the ministry and enrolled in the university. 1923, he later transferred to his father's school in Berlin. And from the start, Dietrich was a distinguished student publishing his first dissertation in 1927. 1930, his second dissertation. In 1932, we all know Hitler swept to power and Bonhoeffer entered the struggle that would then define him. Having been raised a good Lutheran and a patriotic german he was unwilling to stand by and allow hitler's anti-semitic policies to go unchallenged he abandoned the state sponsored lutheran church for the dissident confessing church he even run an illegal seminary for a time influential friends from his time in america helped him obtain an appointment to the faculty of the union theological seminary in 1939 he arrived in the United States on june the twelfth, departed again for Germany on july twenty fifth because he could not ignore the dire situation that was facing his beloved homeland. To avoid military service, Bonhoeffer became a courier in the German intelligence service. And this was the nerve center for the German resistance to Hitler. Bonhoeffer, the once staunch pacifist and patriot, worked to see the Fuhrer assassinated. Bonhoeffer was arrested by the Gestapo on April 5th, 1943 and was sent to prison. It was six months before he saw a warrant for his arrest. After another failed attempt on Hitler's life, Bonhoeffer was transferred. On April 1st, prisoners could hear the report of the Allied artillery. Two days later, Bonhoeffer was transported to the extermination camp of Flossenburg, where he was finally tried and sentenced to death by hanging the next morning, April the 9th, 1945. Fellow prisoner and survivor, Payne Best, said of Bonhoeffer, He was one of the very few men I have ever met to whom God was real and ever close to Him. Theologian, pastor, spy, assassin, and now martyr. Perhaps it's a bit of a stretch to call him a modern day Daniel, from which our reading comes tonight, but Bonhoeffer's tragically shortened life, Still stands as a powerful witness of someone who is completely and totally dedicated to their holy calling. It's a reminder to all of us that the ultimate cost of discipleship, if you really want to be a disciple, is to lay your life down for Jesus Christ. Maybe not in death, but to completely. And totally sell out to Jesus Christ. Whatever He wants me to do, I'm willing to do it. Wherever He wants me to go, I'm willing to go. His desires are my desires. His plans are my plans. Discipleship is all about sacrificing you for Him. For Him. It's almost impossible for us to imagine the trauma Daniel and his three friends must have experienced. They were taken as young children from their homes, transplanted to a foreign culture. They were cut off from all contact with their families, and then they were forcibly indoctrinated into the Babylonian way, even to the point that they had to choose a new name or be given new names and lose their former names. In addition, they were forced to not just watch but cheer as Nebuchadnezzar came parading home, often bearing the treasure of Solomon's temple, and listening to him brag about how he had destroyed the city of Jerusalem, never to rise again. And to top it all off, the underlying glitz and glamour of life in the palace was a constant reminder of the wealth, the power and the superiority of all things Babylonian. And there they were forced to see it and celebrate in it against their will. And yet somehow these four young men found ways to resist all of this power, resist the uh, temptation and the allurement of, of all this privilege, and retain their distinctive Jewish identity regardless of what was offered to them, regardless of how good it may have looked, regardless of what uh, may have lain out there for them, position, prestige, they chose to retain their Jewish identity. And sure, their actions may at the time seem like feeble gestures. For instance, they once refused to eat the king's meat. But... They kept in their hearts steadfastly committed to living a wholly separated life. They had convictions. And over the time, just as you and I are seeing this happen with every passing year, the pressure to conform increased. We're seeing it. You, if you haven't already felt this pressure on your job, in your family, Living an apostolic way of life used to not be that radical. Believing that marriage was meant for a man and a woman used to not be that radical. But now each of us, whether it's on your job, in your community, in your family, among your friends, or as a society, as a whole, are going to experience more pressure to conform. And so, these four young men faced increasing pressure. The expectations became more challenging to navigate and the threats for failing to comply became more drastic. Just like we are seeing, it's hard to be an incognito-apostolic anymore. No longer can you say, well, I'm just going just to be neutral on this. I'm just going to stay out of it. We're getting to the point you're going to be forced to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to participate in that anymore. And so these four men found it impossible to no longer just blend in with the crowd. It became obvious they were different. Nebuchadnezzar's golden image represented a new level of Babylonian demand. It's unclear what the image represented. There's been many that have speculated that it was a A replicant of the image of his dream or maybe, considering his ego, it was an image of himself that he wanted them to bow down and worship. Whatever it depicted, it was Nebuchadnezzar's image and a monument to his growing pride. Everyone was expected to bow down. You feeling the similarities here? (laughs) Because eventually... Everyone is going to be expected to bow down to a godless society. And you will be forced to make a decision, as these young men were. To bow down to the image then was to essentially say, I am worshiping Nebuchadnezzar. There was no way to just kind of stay out of it. There was no way to say, you do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do. No, everyone was forced to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar as a god, making his demand a clear violation of the first of the Ten Commandments, of the two of the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. Worship no other graven image. And yet, if you did not bow, you know the story. If you did not bow, you would risk certain death by burning in Nebuchadnezzar's specially designed furnace. Now, you've got to be pretty demented when you design a furnace just to burn people up. that don't bow down to your image. (laughs) You're not right up here. Right? There's something not, (laughs) the elevator's not going all the way to the top. And so there's two very important things that many people overlook in this story. I want you to see this, and we'll read about this. The first is, it is quite possible, in fact, it was probably likely, that the Hebrews' decision not to bow may not have even been seen by the king. Of all the thousands of people out there, four people kind of abstaining from that may not have even gotten the king's attention, except for the Chaldean tattletales. There's always those around, right? The Chaldean tattletales. Wanted to make sure the king knew, hey, you got four boys out there they ain't doing what you said to do. Now, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 12, I want you to listen to the, the heart of the animosity, and maybe it was jealousy mixed with probably just good old fashioned racism. When notice what they said about these four boys. Verse 12. There are certain Jews.
1: Shadrach, Meshach, and
0: Abednego. Uh-huh. These men, O oh king, have not regarded
1: thee; They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up.
0: I don't know whether you've noticed or not, king. I don't know if it's been brought to your attention or not. But we just wanted to make sure you knew. Right? We just had a prayer request. <laughs> we just had an announcement. Certain Jews, and you can almost hear the racism dripping from their tone, are not doing what you told them to do. Now, more important for us, though, is the fact that the Hebrews were likely aware of the way these Chaldeans felt, and yet they still elected to take a public stand. They knew this is probably going to to make these Chaldeans mad. They don't like us anyway. They're racist, they think we're beneath them, and so there's no way that we're going to be able to stand while everybody else is bound and it not be seen. But it did not affect them. If your convictions and you live in holy is something that you are afraid is going to To make somebody else mad. Or you're going to lose friends over it. Or you're going to lose influence. Or you're going to lose a position on your job. Honey, those are not convictions. Those are conveniences. Convictions say, I don't care who thinks what about it. This is what God says. This is a conviction that I hold. And I'm going to live holy before God. You ever seen people that had convenient convictions? They had convictions as long as it didn't cost them anything. They had, I've seen young people have convictions at church and conveniences at school. And while they're not in here, we can bash them, but I've seen adults have convictions at church and conveniences on the job. And yet these four Hebrew boys says, we've got a conviction about worshiping nobody else but the one true God. And so we're not going to bow down to some graven image. And we don't care if there's a fiery furnace over there burning right now, waiting to consume us. And we don't care that there's people standing all around us that hate us and can't wait to tattle on us. We're going to do it anyway. Convictions are not up for compromise or negotiation a conversation. If you can be talked out of your holiness lifestyle, then they're not, they're not convictions. Right? And it's not, it's not based in a relationship with God. And so it was clear this was a non-negotiable thing for them. We worship the one true God, and that's it. And they knew about it. In fact, in preparing for this moment, ever since they arrived in Babylon, in some ways, they were already preparing for it. Remember, they had refused to eat the king's meat. So they were kind of sending a message. We're not necessarily on board with what you're doing. Now, that wasn't such a a big deal because uh, there wasn't a Jewish dietary law that forbid the consumption of meat or demanded a strict vegetable diet. But it was just a way of saying, hey, listen, let me just tell you, we're not on board with everything that you're doing. And we've got some things that we're not going to be a part of, we're not going to be involved in, and it may not be a, a strict sin for us to do it. But for us, it's too close to the line. And so, for these, these four young men, they said, ain't no big deal. It's not like we're going to go to hell for eating the king's meat. But this, for us, is sending a signal that we are okay with what you are doing. And I want to pause here. I'm not going to preach on this, but you need to understand that just because you're not involving yourself in the sin does not mean you are not crossing the line. The Bible says, uh, if, you enjoy, if you enjoy watching someone else do it, Right? If you stand by and it doesn't bother you and you're involved in it, well, I didn't tell the dirty joke where well, you sure stood around and laughed. Well, I'm not doing it. Well, you don't mind watching it to being done. And for these four young men, this was not necessarily something that was strictly forbidden by the law. They could eat meat, but for them it was too close to the line. If someone sees us eating this meat, they may think we're okay with what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. And so you could already see that these men... These four young guys, they were different. And they were okay with that. However, this early dedication was a minor matter of personal conviction, but it would prepare them for a major confrontation with a transgressive demand. We must give Nebuchadnezzar his due. Though angered, he acted justly in allowing these Three Hebrews to speak for themselves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, uh, once it was discovered that, hey, played the music, these three boys didn't bow down. He didn't necessarily just lose his head, throw them in the fire. He speaks for himself, giving them a second chance to obey his command. All right, boys, I'm going to give you one more chance. However, the die was cast when the king added. To this scoffing question, a demand. Daniel chapter three and verse fifteen.
1: Now, if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer. Mm-hmm. All
0: Mm. can't you just see him kind of sarcastically saying who is that god that will then deliver you out of my hands once we throw you in that furnace let's see about that god let's see if you not bowing down is worth it then we'll see how you feel about it when you lose that job over your convictions we'll see about it when everybody in your family is making fun of you over your convictions We'll see about it when you lose friends over those convictions. We'll see how you really feel about your convictions then. Everybody, listen to me, brothers and sisters, everybody that decides I'm going to live holy before God, meaning I'm going to make sure that in every area of my life I live holy, the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I conduct myself, the way I present myself, the way I am seen, I am going to live holy before God. Everybody at some point will face the fiery furnace. Right? Maybe it's the fiery furnace of social acceptance. Maybe it's the fiery furnace of not being able to climb the corporate ladder. Maybe it's the fiery furnace of ostracization from your family or friends. But everyone will be faced with the decision, are these convictions or conveniences? And he said, we'll find out when you're cast into that fire, if your God will deliver you. And like long ago, Pharaoh was so deluded, he imagines himself as an all-powerful God. And anyone outside of him must be disposed of. And yet, these three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, We will worship God, and we will worship God alone. One easily overlooked sub-theme in the stories of Daniel and his friends it's kind of the subtle critique of the insanity of a godless human power. When we think about godless individuals throughout history, and we mentioned Hitler, and I do believe he's probably one of those individuals, the insanity of these individuals. And over the stories related in Daniel chapter 2 through 4, if you want to kind of get a good laugh or see the insanity of someone who's completely godless, You can read Daniel chapters 2 through 4 and you will see Nebuchadnezzar slowly coming unhinged. Like this guy, is he's off his rocker. He's a little crazy. In fact, it's almost complete madness. In chapter 3, the story almost takes a comedic edge. And within one chapter, Nebuchadnezzar sees himself as a sculptor, as an orchestra arranger. A pyrotechnic engineer? This guy thinks he's everything to everybody. It's difficult to imagine any image that was ten times as tall as it was wide looking anything other than a sketch of comedy. Nor is it possible to read the repeated references in Daniel 3 and 7 through 15 where it says that all kinds of music played. <laughs> I don't get the sense that this was some beautiful symphony that was playing. Nebuchadnezzar was so unhinged, nobody was wanting to tell him, you're crazy. I mean, you've lost your mind. So he's got this gigantic statue that history says was almost comical. Like, look at that, look at that thing. And then he says, when the music plays, everybody bow down to it. And they're like, are you serious? But nobody can laugh. And then the Bible says all kinds of music played. So it probably sounded like a, you know, a junior high band in one of those parades where it's like, just craziness, you know. No beat, no harmony, no melody. All kinds of music. And yet they were expected to bow down while that was going on. The writer of Daniel did not want his audience just to refuse to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. He wanted the audience to laugh at it. The glory of Babylon was reduced to a farce and a sideshow. If Nebuchadnezzar did try to recreate the image from his dream in the previous chapter, the likeness was a complete and dismal failure. It was a joke, and everybody knew it. And so they said, Why should we, like the Hebrews, worship God alone? That's the question. Why? Should you and I worship God alone? It's very simple. Because He's the only truly one worthy of worship. Who else measures up to the faithful righteousness and awesome power of our God? Now I know it may seem comical today in 2024, weird, right? For us to bow down to some graven image. Some comical character of somebody that thinks they're somebody, but they're actually unhinged. Probably none of us would fall for that. But I have seen people worship jobs, recreation, careers, right? Leisure time. I've seen people worship family time. I've seen people make all kinds of gods and put them above the one true God. And I want to tell you to do that is as big a mistake as would be for those three Hebrew boys to bow down and worship that golden or that graven image. There is only one God that is worthy of your worship. There is only one Savior that is worthy of your obedience. Not senators, not celebrities, not professors, uh, not presidents. Nobody is worthy of worship. I've seen people get more excited about who they're going to vote for than the one they're supposed to go spend eternity with uh, in heaven. I've seen people more vocal on social media about their political views than they are about the God that pulled them out of the pit of sin, put their life back together, helped them, established them, restore them. They are silent when it comes to that. But you ask them who they're going to vote for, or you get them off on some political tangent, and 45 minutes later you're trying to get out of the conversation. I'm going to tell you there's only one true God that's worthy of your worship. like the Hebrews, we're bombarded daily with messages about the might and glory of our nation. And I want to tell you, I love America, but I'm not worshiping America. Right? Right? Right. Political parties demand from us loyalty, self-sacrifice, complete trust in the righteousness of their cause. You better not put your faith in any man. Any man. Because I promise you it's a mistake. Total faith in their ability to deliver us on all their promises, stand up there and promise they're going to make us all rich, and it's all going to be great and wonderful. You can vote for you who you want to or want to vote for. That's wonderful. I encourage you to get involved in the civic process and vote, but do not allow your political persuasion to turn into idolatry or anything else in your life. be it sports or anything else. Don't let anything, somebody say anything, take the place of the one true God. As the product of human ingenuity and ability, these are all frail and failing realities unable to save us in the end. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And so, these three Hebrew boys took a stand. Most important... This is my favorite part of the story. They didn't need to have a conference call about it. They didn't have a Zoom call and sit around and get everybody's opinion. What are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? Right? If you have to think about your convictions at the moment of temptation, you most generally going to fall. The decision has to be made long before you are tempted. Make the decision right now. I'm not looking at it. I'm not watching it. I'm not saying it. I'm not getting involved in it. I'm not participating in it. I'm making the decision right now so that when the temptation comes before me and Nebuchadnezzar is looking his nose down at me and the fire is burning over there and everybody's waiting for me to see what, they're, what I'm going to say, it's too late to make your decision then. What should happen then is vocalize the decision you already made. We tell young people all the time, Don't make your decision in the back seat of that car. Make your decision at the altar. Right? Don't make your decision what you're going to say in that moment. That temptation. Make your decision at an altar. And then anything that comes up, I've already made my decision. I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not being a part of that. Your convictions, right? And your holiness and your your discipline and your relationship with God. Those decisions have to be made now. Not in the moment of temptation. Too many people fall when they wait there. And so, they didn't sit around and talk about it. In fact, it didn't come with a formal address. It was in their reply that was almost as if no big deal to them. The King James... Version, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 17, followed by many other translations, offers the following Daniel 3 and 17. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hands, O King. Either way, we're going to be delivered out of your hand. I love that part right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If meaning we may or may not be delivered out of the fiery furnace, right? We're not God. We don't know what God's going to do. If we're, but here's one thing we know we will be delivered out of your hand. This will be the last conversation we have with you regarding this. And so verse 18, but if not, but if not If we disintegrate seconds after being placed in that fire, no, we still would If we know that's what's going to happen, we're going to do it anyway. You don't establish your convictions with God based on the repercussions or the consequences. You don't weigh out the odds. Well, if I live holy, then I don't, this is what's going to happen. Or, you know, if I don't do that, this is what they're going to say. You don't, right is right and wrong is wrong. And you make up in your mind, that's what the Bible says and that's what I'm going to do. And so they made up in their mind that regardless if we're delivered out of there or not, we are not careful to answer thee. We don't have to think it over. Their decision had been made. The Hebrews' determination to live for God was never predicated on a guarantee of an easy or favorable outcome. Their dedication was not, we will serve the Lord as long as is it convenient Popular or safe. No, the dedication they manifested was we will serve the Lord no matter what comes. It's the same kind of determination that must drive our own commitment to holiness, not what culture's doing. Not what the rest of the world is doing, not what other churches are doing, not what your friends or family is doing. I am going to do what is right by the Word of God. Period. Period. And if our conv- convictions are only a matter of convenience, then they are not really convictions. I ran across a verse of Scripture today. Brother Garrett's going to read it for me in Job chapter 21 that. In verse 15 that I thought was striking, Job is describing the words of the wicked. This is the way the wicked think. And to be honest with you, when it comes to convictions and uh, living for God and being holy, this also is very applicable. Notice what the wicked say, Job Job 21, 15. What is the Almighty that we
1: should serve Him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto
0: Him? What profit is it if we pray? What's in it for us? If you pray for a prophet, you don't have a relationship with God. If you pray to get something out of prayer, you don't have a relationship with God. You ever had people that are in your life and you knew that if they called you, they wanted something? Come on, somebody. You knew if your phone was ringing or they were engaging you in a conversation, you knew the whole time they were talking, they were angling to get something out of you. And when you pray for profit, that's all you are. And Job said that's what the wicked do, they only talk to God when they want something. They only pray if they think it can benefit them. And if your convictions and you living for God and living holy and doing what is right is only so it profits you or it somehow advances you or if you're only doing it to make heaven your home, can I tell you, that is not a relationship. True convictions and true holiness is saying, I love God so much, I want to please Him. I want to do what's right. I'm in love with God. I want to serve His purpose i am holy for his purpose not how it can benefit me not how it can benefit me when holiness becomes about you being accepted in some church that's not holiness i just want to fit in with the group don't bother don't bother do it for god do it because you see it's in the Word of God. Do it because it's right. Do it because it's what Scripture teaches. Because if you do it for any other reason, the first time you face the fiery furnace, you'll bolt and run. you got to make up in your mind, I'm doing it because I'm in love with Jesus. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm doing everything I possibly can to get closer to Him, to represent Him, to serve His purpose. So the story takes on somewhat of a humorous or maybe an ironic edge. Nebuchadnezzar, who had successfully controlled his earlier anger, totally lost his mind. Daniel chapter 3, verse 19.
1: Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed can, against Shadrach,
0: Meshach, and Abednego. Hold on, can you see this? His face changed so much. Red face, bulging eyes, foam gathering at his mouth. This guy, had, he, was, he had lost it. Who would dare? Who would dare? Read on.
1: Therefore he spake and commanded that they should keep the furnace one, seven times more than it was wont
0: to be eaten. Mm. And so he ordered the Hebrews thrown in, clothes and all, into the blazing furnace. Now usually they would have been stripped of their clothes. This tells you just how mad he was and how quickly he wanted this to happen. The fire was so hot that it immediately killed all of the soldiers that were assigned to throw them in. That is a hot fire. Ironically, these men were the only ones who died in the story. (laughs) Bloodthirsty Nebuchadnezzar gazed into the furnace to see the flames consume these rebels. But he leapt up in astonishment when in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 25 notice what he saw.
1: He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire they have no hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of
0: god <laughs> are my eyes playing tricks on me I often think, even I think I referenced it, I caught myself a couple of times saying the four Hebrew boys because I often think about the three were never, I've preached this before and it's hard for me not to get that out of my head. The three were never alone. They weren't alone when they were, the, the, God was with them when they bowed. God was with them when they stood before the king. God was with them. He didn't just show up in the fire. He'd been there all along. And it's a reminder to us that Nebuchadnezzar just saw him, but if he had eyed eyes of faith and, and really seen, he would have seen him there all along. So there he was. And from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, his tottering God stood unseeing, uncaring, while this other God was in the fire protecting the Hebrews. So Nebuchadnezzar called the Hebrews' boys forth from the furnace. And the Bible says Daniel 3 and 27, we're fixing the close here. Daniel 3 and 27. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire. It was like they weren't even in the fire. <laughs> they just went in, had church a little while, come on out. My favorite part of that story is, I love it when people live holy for God. They have convictions, they do what's right, and they don't have a stinking attitude about it. They didn't come out smelling like the fire, acting like the fire. They weren't singed. I've seen people that live holy, but they look so disgusted and upset by it. I wouldn't. It, it ain't no part of that is appealing to anybody else. But I love living holy, saying, you know what? I can live holy and be happy. I can do what's right and be happy. I can have joy. I don't need to be in immorality. I don't need to live in sin. I don't need to be in all that junk the world has going on and still be happy. I can live for God, do what's right, and don't have to smell and act like the world. And so there wasn't even the stench of fire upon them. So Nebuchadnezzar reversed his decree. Instead of commanding all the people to bow and worship his image, he commanded all the people not to say anything against the God of the Hebrews. Holiness changes lives. Taking a stand will affect people that you may have been trying to reach for many, many years. It's a powerful reminder. The camp doctor at Flossburg witnessed Bonhoeffer's last minutes on earth and left this account at the place of execution he said a short prayer climbed the steps to the gallows brave and composed his death ensued after a few seconds in almost 50 years the camp doctor said that i have worked as a doctor i have hardly ever seen a man Die so entirely submissive to the will of God. You can't kill a man that's already dead. He had died to Christ a long time ago. He had laid down his life for Christ a long time ago. And so this camp doctor seeing him die so submissively, it was because he had already died. And so... When God coveted Himself to Israel, He told them they would act as a priest among the community of nations. Israel was to teach the watching world what it meant to serve Jehovah. Stand, stand with me. One more passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Follow peace with all men. Follow peace with all men and holiness. Without which no man shall see the Lord. I know we often think about holiness helps us see the Lord, but I want you to look at this verse of scripture a little different. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man out there shall see the Lord. Do you understand that living holy having convictions and taking a stand for God helps other people see the Lord in a way that they have never seen him before. Without which holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Oh, I thought we were supposed to live in a way that God sees my heart. I don't live for man. The Bible teaches us that man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Holiness it's about reaching the world and our community and those around us as much as it is about anything. Amen. They can profess their faith, proclaim their faith, do all of that. But when they come walking out of that fiery furnace, they're say, I'm done. A new decree's going out. Sometimes just living it before them. Not in a begrudging way. You're not going to win anybody by saying, well, we don't get to do that. Well, we don't get to go there. You know what that is? That's walking out of the furnace and stinking. Yeah, that's true. Well, we, my preacher don't let us do that. You're wasting your time. Go do it. Go do it. You're wasting your time. Not only are you impacting and influencing yourself, you're negatively impacting those that are trying to see the Lord. But when you say, I don't do it because my preacher don't tell me not to. I do it because the Word of God says it. I do it because I love God. I do it because I'm trying to draw closer to God. And anything that draws me closer to God, I want it. When you have that attitude, people change their opinion of holiness. People change their opinion of this. I want to see people see the Lord. And when I live holy, take stands, live by convictions, and I do it with peace and joy and happiness, happy are these thy servants that stand continually before thee. They stand continually, and they ain't grumbling about it or complaining about it. The Queen of Sheba said, they stand continually before thee, and happy are they. And she said, I have no more breath in me. She was astonished. It was breathless. Can I tell you, people that live holy have strong convictions and they do it with joy. It takes the breath out of those that are watching. I've never seen anything like it. It's astonishing. It's unreal. And I want it. I want it. I want to live in a way that the world sees Jesus. Lift your hand. Say, God, help me. Help me in the moment of the fiery furnace, in the moment of temptation, God, in the moment when the devil's trying to get me to compromise my convictions, when the devil's trying to pull me up to the table of negotiation, God, help me to be strong in my convictions, Lord. Help me, God, to know what I stand for and what I believe, God. Help me, Lord, to hold on to, to ancient landmarks in my life and to live holy before You, God, regardless of what's going on in our society society in our culture and in our world i want to live holy before you because there is a purpose there's a purpose and the purpose is so the world can see him the world can see him amen god bless you thank you for being here on this wednesday night love you look forward to seeing you on sunday morning 10 o'clock gonna be a wonderful time you're dismissed in jesus name